Before many of you were born, there was this guy on radio called Paul Harvey. Those of you that know that, don't admit it. Um, Paul always started his radio program with the rest of the story. So I thought I'd give you the rest of Phil's story. Yes, it is true that he gave me a call this week uh, to say, please be on standby. What he specifically said, I can't find anybody else. Are you available this weekend and next? And are you going anywhere? I said, no, I'm not. And uh, yes, I can be on standby. Uh, Because like most people that get a chance to preach from time to time, I have a few sermons in my desk drawer that I can pull out and, and get prepared to preach on short notice. And then it dawned on me, this is Christmas. And perhaps it'd be helpful if I had a Christmas sermon. Well, every good preacher has a Christmas sermon, except, of course, me. Now I have one. But then I thought, no problem, it's Wednesday, it's not that big a deal, and I have two children of my own, and my daughter Jessica's had two children, and no woman gives birth on her first child on the day the child is due, so no need to worry about that. And then I remembered it's Sarah Lynn Winburn. And um, so I'm still not so worried about it. I'm helping Linda decorate the house on Thursday. Uh, We're having a staff over for a Christmas party, and the rule is if I invite people over, I have to take care of cleaning the house which I did. Um, Worked a little bit on this Friday. Last night, I was at our Sunday school party at George and Kathy Delk's house, and a couple people asked me about it, and I said, I haven't heard from Phil or Robert. No big deal. I'll probably preach next Sunday. Uh, 9.30, 9.23, I think to be exact, I sent Phil a text, said, I guess I'm off this weekend. See you next weekend. He says, no problem, and then the phone rang. Um, So I had a few ideas, which I, I was comfortable with, And what's interesting, though, about most Christmas sermons is they come from the second chapter of Luke. And when I was a young boy, uh, first grade, as a matter of fact, in Connecticut, I memorized the first 11 verses of that chapter. And I thought in preparation for this, perhaps I should go do it again. But most Christmas sermons are meant not for the 80% of people who are there that are members of the church and attend regularly, but rather for the 20% that typically come to church either on Christmas or Easter only. Which, by the way, if that's you, these are very good days to be in church. But I want to do something a little bit different. And while we are going to be in Luke, we're going to be looking today at a passage from the first chapter of Luke. And whether you're a member here and come often, or whether you're from out of town and just have come for today, or perhaps maybe God has brought you to this church, my prayer today for you and for me is that God would use me to touch you in a unique way and that you be changed and thoughtful when you leave here today. We're not going to focus solely on the traditional Christmas story of Jesus, Mary, and Joseph, although you can't have Christmas without them. We're going to look at Christmas from Zachariah's point of view. We're going to look at it from being prepared for Christmas. This is about preparation, preparation in our hearts and our minds in a world that is increasingly more hospital more, excuse me, more hostile to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so the first question is, who is this man, Zechariah? Well, you might remember, (coughs) excuse me, that he is, I really am sick, by the way. (coughs) That was not a joke. I mean, I did fake it really bad, but. Um, Now, who is this man, Zechariah? He is the husband of Elizabeth, and Elizabeth, you might know, is the cousin of Mary, the mother of Jesus. And Elizabeth was the first person with whom Mary shared the good news that she would become pregnant with God's son. Zacharias and Elizabeth are parents of John the Baptist. Now, Zechariah is an important man. He is a priest, and both he and Elizabeth can trace their lineage all the way back for centuries and centuries to Aaron. The Bible says that both of them were upright and blameless in the sight of God. 
Now, being a priest was an important role. They were broken up into 24 groups, so during the course of a calendar year, they had about two weeks in each group that they would actually minister to the church. And it was really interesting the things that they did because they had two primary roles. One role was to take care of the physical temple. The other role was to be responsible for the sins of the people of Israel. They're the ones that offered up the sacrifices. They're the ones that offered up the prayers for the sins of others. Important man. Important man. In Zechariah's time, the Jews were under Roman rule, and it was even worse because Herod was king of Judah. Herod was half Jewish and half Gentile, and while he did do some good things like restoring the temple, what he did, he did for Herod. He's the one that also gave the order to massacre all the children under the age of two when he'd heard of the Christ child being born and that he would become the king of the Jews. Herod put his faith in Herod. And I think very often that's the sin that God wants us to address most often in our own lives. Are we in it, and do we have our faith in us? So Zechariah was a priest in very troubled times. When I decided to do this message, I was kind of caught between that feeling of being led by the Spirit to do this and somewhat pleased that I come up with something original because I didn't think anybody preached Christmas sermons coming from Zechariah's point of view. So I started doing some research and found out that lots of people preach sermons from Zechariah's point of view. So I fell back on being led by the Spirit, which also is a good thing to do. So let's forget the please part and focus on God's Spirit. But I do want you to know why I think this is important to us today. Driving down Two Nights Road, just between uh, Polo Road and Sparkleberry, there's a sign that I'm sure that many of you have seen that says, Let's Keep Christ in Christmas. And every time I see that sign, it frankly offends me that someone even has to put out that sign, that it's even a discussion point about keeping Christ in Christmas. And then I look at the news and hear what's going on in the news and the happy holidays crowd. And by the way, in our house, it's not happy anything. It's Merry Christmas. And I read things like this in the news. First of all, from CBS. At the University of Maine, executive director of auxiliary services, and most often when you speak about something that's negative, you don't quote the person's name. Daniel Stirrup, S-T-I-R-R-U-P. Daniel Stirrup sent an edict out in response to one student's complaint about Christmas decorations in a campus of 9,100 students. According to the Bangor Daily News, this is what they wrote. In the email, Stirrup said that no, quote, decoration that could be perceived as religious could be put up. We're going to further read what they wrote. He said, this includes Christmas trees, Christmas wreaths, Christmas presents, candy canes, etc. He wrote this using an abbreviation for holiday that many Christians find offensive. And he further went on to say, what is allowed are winter themes, plain trees without any presents underneath them, decorative lights that are not on the tree, snowflakes, etc. And he closes with, if you're unsure, it's best not to use, ask me for clarification. Western Piedmont Community College told students they could not use the word Christmas in promoting, guess what, their annual Christmas tree sale. In the entertainment world, the producers of American Idol, which I do not watch but my wife does, told singer Colton Dixon not to speak of his Christian faith while on air. And for any of you that watch American Idol, if you saw him, he spoke firmly 
about his faith on the air. And for you NASCAR fans, ESPN pulled the sponsorship ads for Blake Koch because he linked his website to a Christian ministry which registers pro-life supporters. What I find very funny about that is he was ranked 53rd in the nationwide series when they yanked his sponsorship, and now he's up to 22nd. So God apparently likes NASCAR. Now, it's not my desire in my faith to offend anyone, but neither is it my desire to compromise my faith so someone else won't be offended. There are those who are offended by what we know to be true. They are challenged by our faith, not because they have no faith, but rather they've chosen to put their faith in something else. Very often what they choose to put their faith in is themselves. So it occurs to me that the times in which we find ourselves are not so different from the times of Zechariah. There is discouragement, there is doubt, and there are questions for which there seem to be no real answers. Also at this time, the birth of Christ brings to an end what is commonly known as the silent period, 465 years where God was thought to be silent. This has appeared between the end of the Old Testament and the start of the New. True, God did not speak directly to His people, nor did He speak to them through prophets. But rest assured, God was at work. For those of you that remember your history, the Greeks used this period of time to conquer what is mostly Western Europe and Asia. And in doing so, they spread a common language throughout hundreds of people groups. Years later, the Greeks were supplanted by the Romans, some of the best road builders in history. And they built a transportation system that God knew and used would allow the gospel to be spread with a common language over a great road system in a very short period of time. And God was not silent because His Word was always with His people in the form of the Scriptures. Again, not too different from the world in which we find ourselves today. But let's get back to Zechariah. We read in Luke chapter 1 that he was chosen on a particular day to offer incense in the temple. This is a big, big deal. It is truly a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. It's really of immeasurable proportions. It's almost the capstone to a great priestly career. He would be just outside the veil in the Holy of Holies. Only the high priest could even go past where Zechariah was going to be allowed to go. And he wouldn't be there for a long period of time, just enough to offer the incense, which would represent the prayers of Israel going up to God. This would be the highlight of his life. And while Zechariah was focused on his role as a priest, God had a different plan. So on that day, on Zechariah's big day, he came face to face with the angel Gabriel. Listen with me to God's word, Luke chapter 1, verses 11 through 17. And an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. Zacharias was troubled when he saw the agent, the angel, and fear gripped him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your petition has been heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will give him the name John. You will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and he will drink no wine or liquor, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit while he is yet in his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the sons of Israel back to the Lord their God. It is he who will go as the forerunner before him in the Spirit and the power of Elijah 
to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children and the disobedient to the attitude of the righteous so as to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. What marvelous news. He's going to have a son. His son will be filled with God's Spirit, and his son will serve the Lord and the people of God in an amazing way to make them ready for the arrival of Jesus Christ. Now think back, why was this so important to him personally? Well, if you go back and look in verse 7, we read that his wife Elizabeth was barren. And according to some first and second century theologians, they think Zechariah may, may have been almost 90 years old. These, there were tremendous cultural and family pressures in society at that time about having children. Cultural pressures because children were viewed as a blessing from God. So the absence of children was viewed as perhaps you were in God's disfavor. And from a, from a family point of view, it was even more dramatic because children took care of their parents. And if you die, if you're, you had no children and the husband died, the wife was left with almost no means of support. These were really big issues. But he had given the word from the angel. He knew and he had history on his side. He knows the story of Abraham and Sarah. He knows what God can do and he is face to face with an angel. So how does Zechariah respond? Verse 18 says, Zechariah said to the angel, how will I know this for certain? For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. He doubts. He doubts. Why? Zechariah surely knows God's word. He knows of Sarah, the mother of Isaac. He knows of the mother of Samson. He knows about the mother of Samuel. All women who bemoan the fact that they did not have children in what the world considered a normal time frame. Not in God's time frame. And God's time frame is always perfect. He doubts. In the face of thousands of years of historical truth, in the face of this first-hand knowledge, and in the face of an angel whose existence he does not deny or question, he doubts. Remember, this angel has the name Gabriel. And Zechariah knows God's word to remember back in the book of Daniel where the angel Gabriel came and spoke to Daniel as he prophesied. He knows this. So why does he doubt? Zechariah is like the world today. He's like us. Hearing the truth, we doubt. The news is either too good to be true or too hard for us to factually accept, even when the news is delivered by an angel. We consider what we know, and we have difficulty reconciling it with what we hear. The noise of the world, the things that are merely circumstantial or temporary, drown out the good news of the gospel, and we become silent. And in becoming silent, we cannot be used by God. I think back about the freedom from religion crowd, those who try and remove all elements of faith from Christmas, which is, in fact, the celebration of our faith. It's not the fact that they don't hear. It's the fact they simply refuse to listen. We see Gabriel again at work in verse 26. Gabriel is important. Listen to his own words from verse 19. Gabriel says, I stand in the presence of God. He is God's messenger. He hears from God directly. He shares similar news with Mary, that she too will be with child. But for Mary, this has severe consequences. It's not necessarily perceived as a blessing. 
You see, Mary is engaged. She's a virgin. She shows up pregnant. Not only does that impact her marriage, it could impact her life. In Jewish law, that's penalized by stoning. Zechariah and Elizabeth get a child for which they've waited for decades. They're blessed, and yet they doubt. Mary is told she's going to have a child with potentially very negative outcomes. And how does Mary respond? We see it in verse 38. Mary simply says, Behold the bondslave of the Lord. May it be done according to your word. What's important for us to understand here is the distinction between a bondslave and a slave. A slave was put into service against his or her will. They had no choice. A bondslave chose to go into the service of another. Mary made a choice. Mary made a decision to serve God. And that's one of the things that made a huge difference. But I can't get over the difference in responses. Why the difference? Zacharias, like us, thinks he knows too much. He sees the world through the prism of those 90 years, and he sees it through his eyes. Mary, on the other hand, chooses to see the world through God's eyes, with love and with trust in God. Now let's flash forward. Elizabeth is pregnant. Zechariah has now been struck silent. The penalty for his doubt is he cannot speak, but he gets to watch and he gets to listen. And over the next several months, he sees the words of the angel Gabriel come to life. Zechariah has heard from Mary just as Elizabeth has, as Mary has come to live with them for a period of about three months. So he watches this child developing in his wife. And then the time comes from Elizabeth to give birth. Her son will be John the Baptist who will make the way for Jesus. Several of Jesus' apostles were first followers of John. Jesus and John are closely connected as cousins, but they are more closely connected as servants of God. In the fulfillment of Jewish law, John is circumcised and named on the eighth day, and God opens Zechariah's mouth so he can speak. Listen to God's words in Luke chapter 1, verse 68 through 75, because this is the message for us today. This passage is commonly known as a Benedictus. It is filled with Old Testament imagery and quotes, but it also looks to the present birth of Jesus Christ and the future restoration that he will bring. Starting in verse 68, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited us and accomplished redemption for his people. And he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of David, his servant. As he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from on old, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy toward our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to Abraham our father, to grant us that we, being rescued from the hands of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our lives. This so closely parallels our experience with Jesus. As we stand in the present, we too can look back and see the sin that ruled our life. And then turning forward, we can see the salvation that God has provided through Jesus Christ. We see the manger and we see the cross together, both made of wood, both holding our Lord and Savior. Zachariah's prayer and our prayer have Jesus at the center. He is the fulfillment of change from rules to relationships, from a life of guilt to a life of love. Take Christ out of Christmas? I don't think so. 
I don't think so. Zechariah comes alive knowing that God is faithful to what he says he will do. He rejoices in his son's birth and the role he'll have in serving Jesus. Listen to his words in the next three verses. And you, child, he's speaking now to John, and you, child, will be called prophet of the Most High. For you will go on before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give his people the knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God with which the sunrise from on high will visit us to shine upon those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet onto the way of peace. But focus on Zechariah's first words upon giving his speech back. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to redeem his people. Zechariah came to know firsthand what you and I read today and what Rick and the choir son about. The Word became flesh. He makes three related statements. In verse 68, he talks about redemption. In verse 69 and 71, he speaks of salvation. And in verse 77, he states, we will have knowledge of this salvation. It's the choice that we have to make. And it appears that he, Zechariah, may have paid a price for his faith. Many people believe that this Zechariah is the same Zechariah of whom we read in Matthew 23, verse 35, where it says, and you slew him in my temple. It's also interesting to note that John would have been subject to the same slaughter that Jesus was, but somehow managed to escape. But I'm confident that Zacharias's joy on that day equipped him for whatever circumstances that God would allow in his life, and that he would not be dissuaded from knowing that the Christ is in the first Christmas. Listen as we read the story from Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. Now in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth, that this was the first census taken while Cornelius was governor of Syria, and everyone was on his way to register for a census, each to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee to the city of Nazareth to Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the family of David, in order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was also with child. While they were there, the days were complete for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in cloth and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them at the inn." In the same region there were shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flocks by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. And here's what Zacharias came to know in verse 10 and 11. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, but behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all people. For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ our Lord. What God wants from you and me is to be Zechariah, to be his witnesses to tell his story, even in the times of doubt, to know that he is God and that he has accomplished his purpose of restoring his people to himself through Jesus Christ, whose birth we celebrate loudly and proudly at Christmas. Take Christ out of Christmas? No one can do that. Christ isn't in Christmas. Christ is Christmas. You cannot minimize Jesus in any time of the year 
What happened, happened and cannot be denied. The world can choose to look any way it wants, but Jesus is always there and Jesus is Lord. If you've not made that decision in your life today that Jesus Christ is Lord, today is the day you can do that. You can come forward and Phil will be up front, I'll be up here. We'll be glad to speak with you to make that decision to trust Jesus Christ and turn your life over to him. If you're looking for a church home and have not found it, Spring Valley Baptist is a great place to come to know and serve God in even greater ways. But don't leave here today the way you came. If you have a decision to make, you make that decision. You come forward.